0: Craig market analyst at Oanda, very good morning to you. Let's kick off with how uh, markets and first oil prices have actually uh, changed now that it appears as though both Iran and the US are pulling back from hostilities.
1: Yeah, we've pretty much fully unwound the positions that we're building over the last few days. Uh, we have to remember that this this was potentially a massive story. I know everyone kind of maybe over-exaggerated it in the early stages, talking about World War Three, but that doesn't mean that this wasn't a major macro story that could potentially influence everyone's lives. And That in itself may sound like an exaggeration, but I'm only talking from one aspect, being oil prices. We know that a spike in oil prices historically uh, and previously has caused recessions so it's not uh, unfathomable to think that if you engage in a war, a war in the Middle East uh, around a, a key channel being the, the Straits of Hormuz, mm. that you could potentially actually trigger such a spike in oil prices that it ne- negatively impacts uh, households uh, across the world so I think from uh, from a number of different perspectives both in terms of potential lives lost which obviously there hasn't been any at this, there's only been one at this point uh, uh, to the, the impact that this could have had uh, on, on the economic scale I think this is a massive relief for everyone and maybe it comes as a bit of a surprise because this escalated so quickly and, and so unexpectedly that I think that was the important thing and it's de-escalated just as quickly it, it, it's going it, when we may look back on this in six months being like remember that time back at the start of the year when for three days it looked like we were heading for a, a, an all-out war and then it just so quickly disappeared.
0: There are going to be two aspects, I would say, that we'll be looking at further into the year. One of them is the um, domestic side in the US. We obviously have the election of um, a a US president in November, and this kind of foreign policy rhetoric is not unknown in a re-election campaign. I suspect we might actually be returning to uh, these kind of topics as the year goes through. But there's also the um, situation in Iran. They've lost a um, uh, a key leader, but also uh, one who was likely to be a successor to um, uh, the current administration um, further down the road, and somebody that has been you know, talked up in terms of their uh, you know sort of hierarchy in terms of the uh, the public. Are you looking at sort of wider ramifications for how Iran deals with its neighbours in the Middle East and how that might influence markets as we go through not just this year but into the future?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's quite clear from both responses that all sides wanted a de-escalation of this. The, the, the reasons for that may be different on different sides so obviously you, you look at the Iran attack and you say there was no casualties if they really wanted to make a statement here if they really wanted to, a proper retaliation for what is an important loss on their side you would think that there would have been casualties so uh, I, yeah, I can't help but feel like that was completely intentional a warning of shot of this is what we can do uh, but we don't want to escalate this any further if, if, if possible uh, but we also don't want to be seen as weak and I think from Trump's perspective he wanted to escalate this crisis further, uh, uh, then, then I feel like he would have done, but he took a lot of time to make that statement yesterday. That's very un-Trump-like. Mm. He took to Twitter, there was one tweet it seemed very uh, very prepared uh, uh, and very relaxed and very calm. Again, that's not very, that's not very Trump-like. I wonder what surveys he's seen over the last few days as to how the public's responded to a potential conflict with Iran uh, and decided, you know what, politically this doesn't work for him, even in an election year. Like you say, historically this actually worked quite favourably, but maybe there's, he's seen some numbers which suggest that they're just and this just isn't worthwhile but we've seen before look at last year Iran lashes out in different ways just because they've decided to de-escalate de- this particular conflict it doesn't mean we won't see further things arise sure. over the course of this year
0: so let's move to the UK retail sales which fell for the first time since 1995 when those particular um, uh, records began um, last year now we obviously, uh, yes, retailers are having difficulties across um, the uh, developed world in how they react to um, changes in supply chains, the uh, the rise of the internet, and you know opportunities for buying cheaper things. Effectively, um, the UK though has had a um, a particularly politically bumpy ride as well. How much of this do you think we will see going into this year as well?
1: Yeah, I do think it is going to be a consistent theme because this isn't just the result of, uh, of, an, of an economic slowdown. This isn't like in 2007 where we saw a financial crisis and we saw Woolworths disappear off the high street, among others. This is almost coming... Well, this is coming at a time when we're still growing. Yes, the is slowing and we've had Brexit uncertainty and we've had, it seems, a culmination of difficulties for uh, for the high street. But this is actually probably equally as much an effect on things like business rates, but also the, like the impact of Amazon and other online services... Having uh, finally catching up with the high streets, and maybe you would look at the Brexit situation, the uncertainty, and the impact on consumers has been the straw that breaks the camel's back in many senses. You look at some of the, the the names that we've lost this year, from Jamie's Italian uh, 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 to Toys Toys R Us was the year before. But you know, there's been so many different names that have disappeared off the high streets over the course of the last 12 months. So these kind of figures aren't that surprising. But it is also worth pointing out that the BRC figures do take they do understate the the sales online. So, for example, Amazon aren't including, mm-hmm. included in the figure. So, we can't really sure. take this as a reflection of the entire consumer environment. For example, also the the spending in pubs and restaurants rose over the last couple of months in the year. So, it could Absolutely. just be that people are moving their spending away. Yes,
0: and understandably, I mean, the BRC are reporting their members. Um, mm-hmm. And, as you, you know, it's it's focused obviously on retail, in the name, yeah. um, but also that older, more high streets. Uh, that's what I'm saying, that effectively sales are moving across. But, after a tough year like this given we've had you know tough years in the past but you know not of this standard in terms of sales Mm. are you expecting more businesses going under in 2020?
1: I think there will be more businesses going under in 2020 whether we see it to the scale that we've seen this year um, I'm not necessarily sure about Uh, I think as always in these situations that what it does what, what these situations do is they highlight the weakest of the bunch effectively and I think ministers have been distracted uh, in Parliament have been distracted now for the last few years with regards to Brexit. They're not going to be less distracted per se over the course of the next 12 months but they must be looking at this situation saying what can we do to alleviate. So we've talk- we've heard a lot more over the last few months about business rates and what can be done to kind of support uh, various high street firms. Uh, there's obviously been t- various takeovers uh, and I'm sure there's been a lot of planning over the co- over the course of the last number of months in order to say we don't want this because it's not just we have to remember the reason why Jamie's Italian and others are struggling is not just because uh, is not because of the same high street problems that you you can attribute some of that to the fact that the lower footfall on the high street affects therefore the eateries and everything that comes sure. around it so it is quite important for the for for not just the high street retailers it's it's, it's important for the entire uh, areas in many towns and villages etc that, that a solution is found here. and I do think there are efforts being made to try and work towards a solution and this is probably the worst year.
0: Great, we had the first meeting between um, Boris Johnson and um, uh, Ursula von der Leyen the new president of the European Commission yesterday in the, the role of um, a president and looking ahead to the uh, the new trade talks between the EU and uh, the UK. Both parties, after some humiliating meetings between previous um, uh, prime ministers and, uh, you know, on, on Brexit with the EU, both were surprisingly or unsurprisingly fairly relaxed. They said what they wanted to say, and we now are looking ahead to the negotiations. It's going to be a difficult 11 months, though.
1: It is going to be a difficult 11 months. It's a bit easier to be relaxed now, though, for two reasons. One is they've agreed the terms of the withdrawal, so both sides have a clear understanding of what the other wants in terms of uh, of the future relationships. You've got a basis for these negotiations to begin on. Also, it's 11 months till, uh, till our next uh, Brexit deadline, so it gives you time to be a little bit more relaxed than you would maybe be come September. But I think it's quite clear from the comments that we have had over the last couple of days that you've got one side that's very ambitious that a deal can be done and says that it's, it shouldn't be too difficult to get this done by the end of the year. And you have the other side that sees uh, far more difficulties uh, with it. So clearly they're not fully aligned on how these negotiations are going to go. Naturally, the more you want to move away from the, the regulatory side of the EU, the more complex it makes the negotiations. And, um but then, like I said, we are in the early stages of these negotiations. We're, 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 we're seasoned now in, in how these negotiations go. The early stages are all cordial, etc. But as we move on through the year, I'm sure we, we'll, we'll become a little bit less relaxed. And um, I don't know, maybe maybe there's going to be some fatigue here. So maybe there'll be a lot less uh,
0: hype. Yes, my intention isn't to start picking um, problems and picking holes um, ahead of time. And yet we can already see where the tension points are going to be. So for Boris Johnson, the one red line he has set above all else is that deadline, the end of the year, that is going to be something which is going to become a challenge as the year goes on. If if it comes down to hitting that but missing out some of the content, you know, which way would he go? But the other side... Presumably, is going to be on the three rules um, that the uh, the EU has set forward: no tariffs, no quotas, no dumping for mm-hmm. a um, a decent trade deal. No tariffs, no quotas. Everyone's terribly happy about that, but no dumping and the kind of control that um, the UK has over uh, over you know the the businesses and the industries in the UK. That I suspect is going to be more of a challenge.
1: Yeah, and and I think we kind of covered this in in the kind of year-in-review preview thing that we did a a few weeks ago, in that I think there's two things that we have to look at with regards to these these negotiations. Yes, the two sides currently have different ideas on how they would like the future relationship to look in certain aspects. Like you said, the no dumping thing, no tariffs. um, I think we've heard plenty about now is no tariffs is the easiest part of the negotiation. Everyone agrees that they don't want tariffs on the vast majority of their goods, and this tends to be wrapped up quite quickly. It is the more regulatory and the alignment side that tends, to take a lot longer um, so th- there's kind of two, two ways in this which this is likely to come about come the end of this year one is there is an off the shelf solution we've talked we've heard a lot about the Canada style trade agreement that Boris and many of his allies want so if you go for that kind of off the shelf here's, here's what Canada has and you start tweaking from there then you think that there sure. is I mean, a we're chance we're very that,
0: different economies and very different course, relationships with um, the EU.
1: but the other side is that there is likely to be a trade a trade agreement light in that here's the kind of outline of where we're at this is where we get to by the end of 20. Twenty, and now we spend the next five years actually refining that, and mm. that seems to be the, the likely uh, route that we're heading. The there challenge
0: out. there, of course, is for Northern Ireland, where a day one is going to be the problem when it comes to new border controls mm-hmm. and new border systems. It's not something that you can deal with in the long term.
1: No, and it's it's gonna. I think that with the Northern Ireland, it's gonna be a case of how much can you pull the ball over the eyes in terms of like in terms of saying there is no difference between the UK, the Northern Ireland, and the rest of the UK, and just hope that people don't notice the differences that actually materialise and just keep this to certain businesses who will notice a a difference in 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 how things these things are structured Uh, and I think that let's be honest that's how that's how much of these negotiations do tend to go we do try to cover in as much detail as we can the actual uh, the the smaller details uh, and how this these these things impact our everyday lives but if it doesn't impact the vast majority of people then it it tends to be an area where you can just pull the wool over the eyes and I think that's how this is ultimately going to go.
0: Finally, to mining. Anglo-American have put in a proposal um, for the uh, fertilizer mine in North Yorkshire, um, currently owned by Sirius, which has been in problems for several years now over the uh, issue of funding to actually keep the, uh, the project going. It's a lifeline for the project, but one that comes at a big discount for investors.
1: Yeah, huge discount. So it's going to be around 5.5p a share. This is a stock that was uh, at one point last year trading at 37p a share. And I think uh, the, the thing that really stings here is that there are uh, thousands of investors I think and a lot of them are local kind of retail investors, people who have uh, an interest in the mine itself in terms of the local community. So they're going to feel a little hard done by in all of this. But ultimately I think the most important thing is that this project goes ahead. No one wants to lose out on uh, these shares that you own, especially to a massive conglomerate um, who'd looks like they're getting a bit of a discount on this but ultimately this is the 600 jobs that are currently uh, at risk of being lost but also this has the potential to create more than a thousand more jobs if this does if, if this is made uh, a success of so in terms of the impact that this could have for the local community i think the important thing is that this does move forward and that a uh, success is made of this but as we can see from the movements in anglo-american share price even yesterday when this deal was announced investors aren't necessarily convinced that this is or uh, that all is good from here just because they've got a bit of a discount on a massive discount on what the, what the share price uh, was a year ago. It doesn't mean that this is going to be easy because it's going to take huge investment and it's it, it seems to be quite a complex operation. So uh, it's not going to necessarily be straightforward. But from from the, from the uh, from the perspective of the, of the northeast and where this mine actually uh, where the mine actually is, the most important thing is that this project goes ahead because of the jobs and the impact on the local community and the local local economy.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one and it will be one to watch. Not just because of the um, what's being mined itself. I mean, you could argue that it's a, um, a vote of confidence in uh, the UK economy, um, but also I suppose um, how the UK might change over the next um, few years. But also a, an enormous um, amount of fertiliser will be coming out of the UK. The amount that's um, predicted will be dwarfing the, uh, the rest of the market for these particular specialist chemicals. Um, but also just finally on the environmental side, that um, to have such a large mine opening in the UK seems very much at odds with how um, other sort of climate change and environmental policies of the past couple of years have, uh, have really seemed to be trending.
1: Yeah, and, and and this has been an issue that's actually already been raised in the local area in terms of the impact, the where this mine is, where the tunneling goes, etc. The fact that it goes under the moors, I think, and that that's caused a lot of controversy in, in the local area. And this could be another challenge that Anglo American ultimately faces um, as part of this offer is that there, there is an enormous there is an enormous support in terms of the employment that this could create in the area, but there is also enormous opposition. So it is a, a very controversial um, a controversial scheme. And like you say, at a time when people are so so much more environmentally mentally conscious then that, that doesn't necessarily help matters but i think we've got so far down the road now a billion dollars has already been invested that the idea that this is something that could be uh, that, that could that, that could be uh, become a problem for anglo america i find that quite difficult
0: to see at this point in time sure yeah it's uh, anglo are uh, pretty much veterans in uh, in uh, this field and dealing with those kind of issues so uh, yes one to watch craig earlham there market analyst at Oanda.